Snap Studios. So, if you think a crime, a tragedy is about to occur, what can you do? Can you lock up, detain, punish, or persuade someone who hasn't done anything? Or done anything yet? From WNYC Studios and Snap Judgment's Underground Lair, my name is Glenn Washington, and today we're going to take the full hour to dive into a single story. Because, of course, a story is never just a story when you're listening to Snap Judgment. We begin at a high school in Portland, Oregon, where school officials fear the next school shooter might be a teenage boy in their midst. Because of the sensitive nature of this story, we are not using real names, and listener discretion is advised. My name is Bethany Barnes, and I'm an education reporter at The Oregonian. So one day in March, I was sitting in the newsroom, and I noticed a new voice message on my desk phone. All the message said was something along the lines of, I'm calling and I have a confidential Parkland tip about Portland. And my heart basically dropped because it only been a few weeks since the mass shooting in Parkland, Florida, um, where several students died. My initial instinct was, did someone call in a school shooting ahead of time? I dialed the number back as fast as I could. My heart was racing. I was really worried. And um, this person named Mark answers. He asked me if I was interested in learning the other side of Parkland. And I thought immediately, no. There is no other side to school shootings. Like, what are you possibly talking about? But I said, what do you mean the other side? He eventually said, you know, his son was going through a threat assessment because the school believed he could be the next school shooter. I was really struck by the fact that I had never heard from someone that was under this sort of suspicion. And the thing that he said to me over the phone that I couldn't get out of my head, he said, you know, my family, we're Star Trek fans. And what I keep telling my son is what Spock says is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And I wanted to know more. That's sort of how the story started. The first time I met the family was a little bit strange. One Friday on a late afternoon, I made the drive out to his home. He lives on this tree-lined street. I get out of my car. I walk and I knock on the door. And this teenager answered. He's got, you know, shaggy hair, maybe a little bit greasy. He, you know, has on a t-shirt, cargo pants. And I said, you know, I'm here to see Mark. The teen said that he wasn't home. Oh, I, w- I was supposed to talk with him. And the son said, what about? And I, I never lie, but I wasn't totally clear that I was allowed to tell him what I was doing either. And all I knew about the son was that the school thought he would shoot everyone. And then he squinted at me and he said, are you the reporter? And I breathed this huge sigh of relief and I said, yes, absolutely, I, I am. He let me inside and 
We sat down and he looked at the floor and he gave me this whole speech about his autism and how that affects his conversations with people and that sometimes he can be blunt and he struggles to communicate. Then he looked at my feet and I have a pair of cowboy boots I wear often. And he said, I love cowboy boots. And he explained to me about how they have great traction, how when it snows in Portland and everyone else is unprepared and is falling down, he has his cowboy boots on and he's not falling down. He says, hold on a minute. And he walks into a back room of the house and I'm sitting there looking around, making notes. And he came back and he sat down and he said, I put on my cowboy boots too. It was such a nice moment that I wanted to capture it. And so that's when I started recording what was happening. So if you can, tell me how you see the big school debacle. He brings up that it seems to boil down to people disliking his coat. It's not a trench coat. Can I see the coat? (laughs) And so he goes and he gets the coat for me. It's this big black trench coat. It's thick, it's heavy, it has lots of pockets. And it's very comfortable. What's comfortable about it? Well, if you're really... Well, if it's cold, you'll be warm. Okay. The problem is if it's above 85 degrees, it'll be 104 degrees inside the coat. And starts explaining <laughs> it with this clear joy. We measured it inside. Well, I measured it. <laughs> it's actually happened that I went to school without my coat and I got marked absent in class. Really? Because everyone associates you with the coat? Yeah. I didn't have my coat, so... We started talking about his classes, and then in the middle of that conversation, his dad came home. Hey! Hello! I think paused to say hello to me, and basically he started into all of this. I just got done with a meeting with Mrs. Markle. Who? The student services lady at the administration. Okay? The dad was pretty uh, upset and immediately asked Sanders to show him the scissors. I never sharpen them, Dad. They've got factory sharp. Then we get some that don't have sharp points. Then they're too big to fit in my pocket. And you don't sharpen them. If they're dull pointed, in other words, no sharp scissors. Well, then they're not half as useful as they need to be for class. Perhaps. Sometimes you need pointy things for class. I'm going to get them. And so Sanders goes to his room, he gets the scissors. Yeah, what? You gonna show him? He takes them, he takes off the blade guard, which is on the scissors. So these these very tiny scissors that are about the size of my two fingers. She's th- I was told that you were showing that you would, how you would sharpen them, okay? No, I said and how they were sharpened, not that I didn't. Did you put those points on? Nope. The son is sort of rolling his eyes, being your typical teenager. And I think Mark was still on the fence about whether or not his son had sharpened the scissors. He held them up to his eyes and he squinted at them to try and determine if they had been sharpened or if they could have been sharpened. They They came that way. They understood that you put the points on. (laughs) Well, then they're idiots. No. I never said that, Dad. How are you? Good. It's nice to meet you in person. <laughs> nice to meet you. We ended up having a whole discussion about who they were as a family. I got a tour of the whole house. Their home is, you know, really charming. 
There's all these signs of what you see as a family on the wall. They have kind of hung up in, I think, cursive letters. This home believes. There's another sign that says, all because two people fell in love. They showed me photos. They showed me all the books, their son's library of everything he reads. And were just telling me about who they are. I'm the heavy in the the family, okay? There's no other way to put it. I'm the one who, uh, you know, makes sure that he gets up and gets his shower in the morning. He, you know, he takes his medicine and that type of thing. And his mother, you know, she comes in in the morning and sings to him to get him awake and that. And all of them are really nerdy. Obviously, they love Star Trek. They love kind of geek culture stuff. They like stories with heroes and villains. They're all really intellectual. The mom kept encouraging Sanders when he would get upset how to go about insulting people without actually insulting them. Hey, that's a good thing. They can't understand when you're insulting them. That's a good thing. Yeah. It's not a satisfying, but it's still a good thing. Like I said, study Shakespeare. <laughs> he has some of the best insults out there. <laughs> Klingonese is better. Klingonese would be good, too. <laughs> Nearly half of there's the entire art people there. The family, I mean, from the beginning, wanted to be open as much as possible about this. My son is autistic. He doesn't do very well in a lot of social situations and that. So, you know, he was always having troubles with attendance and that. Mark knew it would be easy for Sanders to just stay in his comfortable world of books and video games. But it was incredibly important for him that he get an education. So he made it his daily mission to get Sanders off to school. I had a whole thing set up. If he didn't go to school, the next day I would drive him to school. And if he still didn't go to school the day after that, I'd drive him to it and I'd walk him inside and I'd give him a kiss goodbye. And a teenage boy, ooh. Okay. But right about his junior year, which is when the start of this year, is things did seem like they were starting to turn around. He started really going to school and actually getting involved. He actually started getting an A in an English class, which was just phenomenal as far as we were concerned. And then we had a situation whereby his grandmother died, and we had to fly to Denver for the funeral and that. And when we came back, that's when the whole situation with Park Rose erupted. Mark began by telling me how it all started. It was a Monday. It was the 26th of February. Mark had just gotten to work when he got a phone call from Park Rose High School asking him to show up at the vice principal's office. I wasn't too worried when I got there. I thought it was related to, you know, something with regards to attendance or, or, you know, classroom work. Mark found Sanders was also in the room. And then the vice principal said to Mark... We have received some reports that he may be potentially a school shooter. The librarian had reported she had overheard a student saying his nickname was Shooter. That Sanders had a nickname of Shooter. And the second concern came from an email from what appeared to be a concerned parent. With regards to him possibly being dangerous because of two things, the way he dressed and because he had an interest in guns and weapons. I was just, I was astonished. It shocked both me as well as Sanders. I did not know what to think. I was pretty much thinking, "Uh, what happened? And then the vice principal asked Mark, Do you know anything about this? Have you received any uh, indications that your son might have 
feelings or, or issues with the school. You know, I said no. At this point, my son did make a comment to the effect that says, Anybody who's going to shoot up a school is either not too bright or is having a crisis. I told them I'm not stupid enough to try it, nor would I want to. People tend to judge people on their appearance, and I try not to. And I have no intention or desire to try to fit in. So I wear my coat and it stands out. He also told them he didn't know where the nickname Shooter came from. No one had ever called him that. I was calm and I tried to be honest. I was just as open as I could be with the school. I told them, you know, he was seeing a, uh, a counselor, whatever, because of his autism. I said, we have guns in the house, but they're locked up. At that point, my son piped up and says, yes, Dad, but I can get past that if I want to. Which my immediate thought was, well, you didn't need to say that, but that's kind of the way my son is. You know, he sort of was making a statement of fact. They asked if I liked guns and all that. I like the technical side. I love the mechanics of them. I, li- I, want, I like learning how they work and all that. But they're just not my thing. They said, thank you. That clears things up. You know, we understand where you're coming from now and that. And everything seemed to be fine. I walked out of there with uh, Sanders and I said, well, looks like things are okay. Sanders went back to school. I went back to work. I received a phone call about 2.30 in the afternoon that the Portland police were at my house to search for weapons. And I immediately connected this with what was going on at the school, which was, I was, I was pretty well shocked. Mark rushed home, and he let the police officer in, even though he didn't have a warrant. I did not ask him for a warrant. I decided that I would show him everything I could. Anything he wanted to see, he saw. I took him into my son's room. He showed him his son's room, full of pocket knives. Which had been presents to my son from his grandfather. And Nerf guns. He saw that there were wooden cutouts of rifles. Also a um, three and a half foot sword that my son made out of an old uh, farm balance that he cut down and sharpened up in that. Mark showed the officer the locker in which he kept the family guns. I showed him that the gun safe was locked, and the officer asked if he could take the guns that I had for safekeeping until the situation blew over. And I said, certainly. After the officer left, Mark had to explain to his wife what had happened. She was not thrilled with the fact of the way I handled it. Um, But I was a person on the spot, and my main concern was to make sure that nobody saw my son as a threat. What happened next was when Sanders came home, he told us that he had had another meeting that afternoon with people from the school. And they had questioned him about everything that had gone on, basically a rehash of the 
morning conversation. I was a little concerned at that stage, but I was still very much in terms of saying, it's still the system, and the system has processes and procedures that they need to go through. Mark started out very open, and I think confident the system was going to work for them at some point. And I think he thought he was going to be able to show his kid that, like, if you're open and you trust in things, good things can happen. You Because know, from his perspective, if this is a system that works, maybe they should have to undergo some discomfort. I told him, you remember what's been, what just happened in Parkland, and you know that there have been other situations of school shootings and that. The school, et cetera, has to take these things very seriously and do their best to check it out. So just bear with them. Well, I try to go about my business like nothing happened. That lot of good that did. When we return, Mark goes back to Park Rose High. He's determined to squash any doubts the school has about his son, Sanders. Snap Judgment. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. last we left, Sanders had decided to take his dad's advice and trust that the school will determine that he is not a threat. A few days later, Mark was back at the school with his son, sitting across from school administrators. I wanted to basically say, let's talk about it. Let's find out why you have this concern and let's see what we can do to allay this concern. They said they would like to basically search my son at that point in time. I says, what? And they said, yes, we'd like to go ahead and do a random search of your son. My son Sanders immediately piped up and says, fine. I kind of volunteered for that because I figured if they figured it out quickly, they'd stop bugging me and I could go back to reading my book. So I took everything out of my pockets. He's got lots of pockets in this duster. It's not a trench coat. It's an Australian Outback duster. It's a really good raincoat. It's warm and it's got pockets big enough. I don't need to bring a backpack. And Grandma gave it to me. And he started pulling out pencils and he started pulling out some papers and that. And then he reached down in a lower pocket and that. And he pulled out a pair of small scissors. The pair of scissors I use every day in tech theater. He uses it in his uh, theater workshop to cut materials and that. And they said, um, well, they asked me this question. Can scissors in any way be used as a weapon? Anybody who looks at a pair of scissors and says, oh, those are used to cut stuff, would probably figure out that they can 
be used as a weapon. They're pointy. So, duh. <laughs> and the process of making a pair of scissors is taking two knives and bolting them together in the middle. People consider knives weapons, so it's a weapon. They said something like, have you ever used it as a weapon? He says, no, of course not. They asked him to take his duster off. He did. Uh, they patted it down. They found nothing. And et cetera, we sat down. That's when they told Mark that for his son to go to school, he would be under some constraints. They were going to do random searches, and as well as my son was required to check in when he got to school. He would have to check in and check out with a school administrator every day. I am feeling heightened concerns because this is escalating, and this should not be escalating. It seemed to me that the school resource officer did not get what was going on with my son. He made comments that, uh, you know, why is he wearing a jacket that uh, other people would associate with uh, school shooters and that type of thing? Why doesn't he understand and, you know, wear something else? Why doesn't he change? started sounding very much to me like a profile, you know, that they were, my son was being profiled because... He didn't, you know, he, yeah, I don't know how else to put it there. At this point, he talked a lot about his struggle about trying to understand his family's kind of right to their feelings. That's when I said something that was probably in retrospect not wise. I said my son was understandably feeling a little anger about this. He would probably want to punch out whoever made this comment about him. Those comments did not go over well with the school resource officer. And he says, that's our policy. And I said, you are accusing him of something of which he's not guilty. I know my son, and the fact that you want to randomly search him, particularly with the fact he's autistic and he doesn't, he doesn't like to be touched that much, this is not the way to do things. We need to come up with another mechanism. I was told, no, this is the policy, this is the procedure that we follow, and there won't be any changes. I left that meeting very, very upset, very uh, frustrated, and it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't good. That's when I started thinking, the system is not working. Mark started to feel that he was going to need to protect his family. From what, he wasn't sure. But he started keeping detailed notes. He had an orange folder in which he'd print out every email he was exchanging. He wrote down a timeline. I want somebody else to know what's happening here. And that was my impetus for calling Bethany. That's when she got involved. So I was at the house for, I think, about four hours on the first day. At some point, the mom came home, and we all moved into what was the dining room table. Sanders was in and out of the kitchen and in the dining room as he prepared a snack to lug back to his bedroom so he could play video games and chat with his online friends. But as he was making dinner, he was also immersed in the conversation about what was happening to him and what it all meant. Okay. Do you have something to say? 
They could have solved it in two days. Instead, they, they're taking two weeks. It'll take longer than that now. You will be subject to these searches through spring break. Yeah. Um, or until we, get, until we get this meeting and everybody resolves. At this point, the threat assessment was ongoing, which effectively to them meant they still think you might be a school shooter and your school still doesn't trust you. And the fact that their protocol doesn't help things, it makes things worse. Yes. Have they understood that yet? No. Well, well then they're in charge of the school. Wait. No, they don't understand that yet. You and I and mother through this process are trying to bring them to that understanding. Okay? Okay. You, on the other hand, need to hold it together. That's even though as even though and, and I explained I explained this to Mrs. Markle that you wanted to <coughs> you know punch out whoever made this you know whoever made this remark you know whoever started this whole you know thing going. That was helpful, dear. I said I'm doing my best to allay Sanders, you know, say this is go along with it. Like I said, like Spock said, the needs of the many outweigh your needs. You've got to understand where they're coming from. Yes, I understand that they're coming from stupidity because they're They're being coming from fear. They're exactly. Coming, well, fear and stupidity are different. Not really. They're basically the same. For now, the family was in limbo. All they could do was wait and see what came next. At the same time, in the back of my mind, is saying, what is this going to do to my son Sanders? Sanders felt increasing pressure and stress every time he had to go to class. I was a little bit worried that, well, my first two classes, tech theater and stage combat. In tech theater, we're using power tools. In stage combat, we were chalking swords to each other. Yet, to them, a pair of scissors was a danger. So power tools and swords were completely out of the question. Right. I mean, everything that happened in our initial meeting was really telling about who he is and how he felt he had to move in the world. He gave me a disclaimer about himself. I don't feel like I have to do that when I meet people. That's not something I live with in my life, but it's something that he does just because he is different. I would say at this point he was probably going to school maybe one or two days out of a week. You know, and every time he didn't go to school, I, I reiterated to him my longstanding policy of him going to school. She's talking about this is a situation. They are responding to the situation, not to you. There is insufficient understanding of you. They are dealing with the situation. They, why don't they just come and talk to me? And that's what I'm going to try. That's the type of meeting I'm trying to set up. We How can they make these decisions without consulting me? If they want to know something, they need to ask me. Otherwise, they're just being dumbass. Wait a minute. They have asked you. And, but the trouble is not that they haven't asked you, is that they haven't understood you. Yes, they don't so they need have, to ask better questions. Perhaps, yes, and have better people there. That's what we're working on. Yeah, they need to have the autism specialist there. I think that's when the dynamic changed and why he started to feel so unwelcome there is because he felt like he had to keep proving that he wasn't a problem. If they're going to fail to handle this situation this badly, then there's no point in going to school. 
not going to learn anything there anyway. One day, I happened to be driving by Park Rose High, and for the first time, I saw on the side of the building the mural. It's a mural of the Old West, and it has a bunch of gun-toting cowboys on the side of it. And I realized right then that on the days that Sanders was going to school, he was walking into a building that had glorified gunfighters on the side of it at the same time that the school was questioning his own interest in weapons and using that against him. I mean, at one point, he grew very paranoid. Well, at this point, I was already suspicious of everything around me. So one day, about a month after Sanders was first flagged as a risk. I think I was listening to my music on my walk home. I noticed a car constantly parking and then driving up a bit. Eventually, I got to the end of the block, turned, got to the end of that block, turned, got to the end of that block, turned again. The same car was still behind me. And that's not normal. I stand behind a bush. It goes by. I was about 45 minutes later than normal, getting home. And when he, when my wife and I heard about this, we says, well, you need to, you know, take the license number down, call the police. And he said, Dad, I thought it was the police. And I'm going, oh. Things progress to the point where not only you know, he doesn't trust, now he's, he's afraid they're out after him or whatever. I mean, it's like. <sighs> I don't trust. Well, now I don't really trust anybody farther than I can throw him with three elephants attached which isn't very far. I was also worried about uh, somebody coming up, annoying me, and then me losing my cool, which would not be good. I didn't want it to be a uh, elephant in a china shop sort of problem. Eventually, it got to the point where I wasn't really going to school anymore. He needed to go to school every day. And now I felt that I just couldn't, I couldn't make him do that. I've got to listen to my son and he's concerned. He's, he's, he doesn't know himself how he's going to react. And I had to, I had to accept that. I had to accept that. I told him, Sanders, I get it. I understand. I support you. And I appreciate the fact, and I truly appreciate the fact that if you feel that you are possibly a danger to somebody, that you could get angry or whatever and possibly punch somebody, that you have elected to stay home. That is, that shows, that's, responsibility. that shows responsibility because everybody, anybody can get angry. Anybody can get angry. That's why I haven't given you shit for not going to school. Normally I would. I'm trying to convince you to go to school, but I understand. If you feel that going to school right now, you don't have sufficient control, that you could be a danger to others, then by all means, stay home. Okay? What we want... At home, Sanders would play video games, he'd chat with his online friends, he'd start a new book and finish it almost every single day. 
because I finish them that quickly. Of my current book, which I started reading late last night, I'm now on page 353 out of 369. And in the meantime, while all this stuff was going on, I was asking the school system why uh, or what evidence have you come up with to, you know, to continue to keep these procedures in place. And they were telling me it was because of the police. The police were pushing this. They started telling him that the police were concerned about what they saw there and that it was written that the house had tons of weapons, 30 knives, and the report was scary. And that My home was considered an unsafe environment, which was, wow, okay. Mark felt the only way to understand why the officials felt concerned was to see the documents, to see the police report. And I talked to the police. But he couldn't get a copy. I, as a parent, am not allowed to see police reports with regards to my minor child. It's against policy. And I'm, at this point, I'm saying, I want this stuff to be over. I want to get this thing downgraded. I also kept trying to get the school to talk to me. And I did have one phone call with the superintendent, and she said that she was going to have people speak to me, but that ended up not happening. They didn't want to talk about a specific case, and they wouldn't talk about his case, even with written permission from the parents to do so. And they were basically saying, you know, we just trying to keep the school safe, and uh, this is how we're, we're doing it. I have never been a parent who, when faced with something, says, oh, no, not my child. I've always been realistic on this. I did a lot of bad things when I was a kid. I got in trouble with some things, okay? I lied to my parents about some things. To me, that was, that's being a kid. Mark began to wonder, was there something about his son that he didn't know that he needed to know? Is there a threat I don't know about? They wouldn't be doing this if they didn't have something, would they? They wouldn't do this unless they thought there was something there. And so, what is it? But I didn't think there was anything, but I couldn't totally dismiss it either. In just a moment, Mark decides to go directly to his son and ask him if there's anything that he's keeping from Mark and his wife. Stay tuned. WNYC Studios and Snap Judgment's Underground Lair. You're listening to Snap Judgment, the No One Calls Me Shooter episode. When last we left, Mark was grappling with a very big question. Did the school know something about his son that he didn't know? Snap Judgment. One evening, all of us were in the living room. Sanders was playing with the dog on the floor, petting it, feeding it biscuits. Meanwhile, his parents were trying to get more answers. Did you say something? Did you do something? Have, has, have you heard anything from anybody about that shooter nickname? Nope. Do people think of you as shooter? Nope. Have you asked around at all? I mean, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't. 
and I'm not encouraging you to do so, but I'm just wondering. In the conversations I've overheard that people thought they were having behind my back, yeah, they haven't mentioned it. See, I, I don't know how they tied that to you, and that it's disturbs me. It takes stupidity that, to do it. Well, it disturbs me that they're saying someone said that you were called the shooter, but we don't have any tie I'm, between someone said you were called the shooter and that you I have were never said that. called the shooter. You've never you've called never yourself that. that, right? Correct. So, and you've never heard others call you that? Nope. So to me, it seems like an empty allegation because they haven't tied it to you. They still, have they released the report yet? No, we can't get it yet. At some point, someone told Mark he'd be able to get a copy of the police report if he went through the court system. And so he began that process. One of the other questions... It's double I letters. Yeah. Here's another question. One of the things they brought up is the fact that Grandma Margaret died. Okay? And that Grandma Margaret's death affected you negatively. Didn't have a chance for it to affect me because, you know. Well, we we went to Denver and we had all that time there. So you it's did. Delayed reaction. Mom. You did have time to process it. Delayed reaction, Mom. I understand that. But listen, they think that because Grandma Margaret died, you might be grieving so hard that you go shoot up the school. See, you don't think like they think. Actually, they don't think. I'm not sure that we think like they think, but how this is you, what you they're thinking to, is You have to think to think like other people. Okay, but you're this is let me just tell you how they think. They think you're grieving. Wait, they think? <laughs> Darn, I'm going to say that with a straight face. Their definition, okay? They think they're, that you're grieving and that this may put additional stress on you and it might make you a danger for going to the school and shooting people. What's your comment? They are a lot dumber than they were. You do feel grief over grandma, can you right? Talk, yes. Can you comment in relation to yourself rather than in relation to them? Yes, I'm sad. No, it will not affect my judgment. It's a very Spock-ish comment. At this point... I think it was really hard on the family because it's, it felt like no end in sight. Like, when do you know that they ever feel comfortable? I mean, the superintendent, when they eventually met with her, said to them that if you were going to draw a picture of a terrorist kid, you would draw a kid in the trench coat. I have another question for you. Are there other kids who wear black trench coats like you do? Right. One or two. Really? They wear something similar, but yeah. Okay. And they wear a long black coat. <clears throat> Are there others who wear long coats do you, do you in know, other colors like brown or khaki or Do you know anything about those kids? They recently started wearing coats. 
Are they weird? One or two. So one. Are they your friends? Don't know them well enough. Is there anything different about their behavior other than they wear the coat? They tend to sit alone and not do much. Wait. Isn't that you? During lunchtime, do you sit alone or do you sit with... I go to class after training. He, he has tater tots for my pizza. Right. <laughs> He's got to deal with... It's his tater tots. He gets... Or he gets his pizza and he gets tater tots. Doesn't like tater tots. Yeah, I don't like the tater tots. One night, I was making a routine phone call in the evening to Mark, and he sounded different than I'd heard him. And he told me that his son appeared to have changed, and that while his son had struggled with bloody noses in the past, they'd been gone for a while, and now they were suddenly back. And this frightened both myself and my wife, Elaine. Because he began to isolate himself a lot, I mean, there were times when I would try to talk him into coming out and doing things or going out to eat. Um, he just didn't want to leave, and he stayed in his room almost all the time that he was home. Um, not sure anybody really grasps just how angry it made me. One morning, Mark peeked into his son's bedroom. He sees a pile of bloody tissues from these bloody noses, and his son is just this lump in the bed. I resolved right at that point in time with my wife, Elaine, I was going to go in and see the school. And I went in that day or the next day and met again with the vice principal. And I says, we've got to come up with a solution. He's not going to school. He's now depressed. This is not sustainable. The vice principal says he wants Sanders to get comfortable in school, whatever it takes, and that he thinks he has a solution. And so we came up with a plan for him to start doing night school. And he was willing to give the night school a chance. And I was willing to grasp at it because I wanted to get, I just so wanted him to get back into school. He needed to have something. He needed to have that in his life. How are you doing? Um, better than I was. Do you think you will be, a if, if the situation is resolved, do you think you will be able to trust the school again? That depends. On what? Whether or not I get an apology. I told you that was going to be a good thing. I wanted to hear, we're sorry. We'll try to fix it so that it won't happen again. That's all I wanted. <laughs> and I might have been able to stand going to school again. At the beginning of this, he was a kid who, he didn't care about the administration. He didn't really know who they even were. And by the end of this, he was really angry with the administration. He has an ax to grind now. And that didn't exist before. So basically what happened is because Sanders felt so unwelcome at the school and his trust was so broken, he left Park Rose High. It was now the month of May. For the family, it had been two months of unknowns and uncertainties. They still didn't know why the school considered their son a threat in the first place. 
All they know is this process has essentially led to their son dropping out of school. One day, the police report finally arrived in an envelope. Yeah. Sanders sat in a chair and leaned forward, listening, somewhat ironically, in his Park Rose High t-shirt. So it's dated 2-26-2018 at 12.07. The mom read it out loud, and they were pretty stunned by it. Aforementioned incident. I spoke with Drake, vice principal, and he expressed some of the concerns he had. Drake mentioned the original report started with a peer student at the high school named... They did not redact that. The biggest thing that it revealed was the name of the student who had been overheard. And that was amazing to us because we would have expected that to be redacted. But it was not. My son responded and says, I know him. Heck, I like the kid. He's nice. <laughs> I was having a conversation with friends in the library about the recent school shootings nationwide was overheard by the librarian saying, I feel mostly safe at this school, but there is this one student who makes me feel uncomfortable. And then they put in brackets, so this is not part of the quote, in the bracket. And he goes by the nickname Shooter. The librarian later reported this conversation to Drake. And the brackets are interesting because that was supposed to denote that this wasn't something necessarily directly said. How did they infer that Sanders was the name that was supposed to go in the brackets? So it was singling somebody out. If they didn't even know what student was talking about. I would still like to know why they tied to the shooter. No one has ever answered that question. Well, has anyone, I mean, I guess we don't know this. Has anyone talked to was no. Because, like, <laughs> like, they were surprised to not see anything that made their home sound like a terrifying place, that made their son sound abnormally reckless or violent. It was, in their eyes, almost bland. However, he does not seem to be harboring resentment or fierce anger toward the school. He also mm-hmm. denied wanting to harm himself or others. And then the report sort of concluded with this idea that it should go to a level two so Sanders could get support. It is my recommendation that can go to a level two threat assessment so more support can possibly be allocated to him. Well, I'm sorry, well, but searches, that. random searches are not support. They had nothing to go on. There'd been nothing to say that he had made any kind of threats or talked to anybody or threatened a particular person, threatened an institution, nothing. So now all you have is the fact that he has a pair of scissors in that, and he talks about guns, and he wears a trench coat. For me, the report had a lead that I wanted to chase down because I thought it might have more answers. So I tracked down the student who was named in the police report. I found his mom and got her permission, and then I called him on the phone. When I called up the boy, I told him that I wanted to talk to him about a classmate, a boy named Sanders. And he interrupted me. He said, oh, Sanders, he's a great kid. He's a great guy. And that's when my heart broke because I knew that this boy probably had no idea what I was about to ask him. And the boy was totally aghast. He said he didn't call Sanders shooter, that he would never call him that. 
And so I pushed the conversation forward and I explained that because of that, Sanders had been suspected of being a possible school shooter. Did anyone at the school ever talk to you about this uh, remark in the library that they say that you said? And he said, no, the school hasn't talked to me about this. I can't believe that I'm in a police report saying this. And that was shocking to me. I, I was really stunned that the police officer at the school, that, that no one had spoken directly to him. They, they could have talked to him, and I don't, I don't know why they didn't. And I asked that, and they never answered me. He was so upset and horrified, and he said, that's wrong, and I, I had no idea. I had no idea. I feel so bad. I feel so bad. He's a great kid. I can't, I can't believe this. I, I don't even think Sanders goes to Park Rose anymore. And I said, you're right. He, he does not go to Park Rose anymore. Anytime humanity has been faced with something new, our first instinct is to chase after it with pitchforks and torches. Or the modern equivalent. Basically, we're scared of anything that doesn't conform to what we're used to. A huge, gigantic thank you to Mark, Elaine, and their son Sanders for sharing this story. Another huge thank you to Bethany Barnes, who originally reported this story for the Oregonian. We'll have a link to her story at snapjudgment.org. And we did request an interview with school officials at Park Rose High, but they declined to comment on Sanders' threat assessment. The original soundscape for this story was by our own Renzo Tulagorio. The piece was produced by Nancy Lopez. Now then, Snappers, if you like stories that rock your world just like this one, know that more Snap Judgment storytelling awaits. Hours of twists and turns and insights that you can get nowhere else. All of it available on the Snap Judgment Podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcast. And you can wear the Snap Judgment pin to let the world know you snap. Or get the Jen Cover Comedy Special because Snap's queen of comedy has a never-before-broadcast story that will leave you in stitches. All of it available just for joining Snap Nation and Snap Judgment, L-O-R-G. Snap was brought to you by the team that always travels in pairs. Please show some Snap love for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Pat Masini Miller, Anna Sussman, Nancy Lopez, Renzo Gorio, Tail Ducat, Flo Wiley, Eliza Smith, Liz Mack, Leon Morimoto, Shayna Sheely, for just a little while longer, Jasmine Aguilera. And even though this is not the news, no way is this the news. In fact, you can wake up one day excited to race the big marathon, talk a big game on the way to the course. And only when the announcer fires the starting pistol do you realize that maybe, just maybe, you should have practiced. And you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is W. N. Y.